0: Go on vacation. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm the guy up here who walks into the, the camp holding the fire and everybody's hungry. That's what I feel like this morning. Um, man, what an immense opportunity to stand up here and have this privilege to bring the Word, that God would use this broken vessel, that He would, in, in my weaknesses and my frailties and in my inabilities to Get things right and to do things right. My inability to be perfect like he was perfect. And in all of that brokenness, he would pour in his spirit into a broken pot. I mean, if would you put if you had something precious, would you put it in something that was broken? Maybe if you wanted it to pour out. And so today I hope that it pours out towards you that the Word of God. And we're going to go back to the book of Mark. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Mark, the sixth chapter. <clears throat> You've heard me say this is my favorite gospel, Um, and so I do enjoy literally getting to preach this word this morning, and the focus on this mark so far as we've gone through it has been the revelation of Jesus Christ, and as we've kind of been walking through this, what we've seen is that for the gospel to be good news, it has to invade bad places, and this gospel opens up with God stepping into broken humanity. Him stepping into the brokenness of our culture, the brokenness of our word, the brokenness of our systems, the brokenness of our abilities. He steps into this brokenness to be wholeness. And in Jesus, he moves into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, we see that it's in the wilderness that God begins to shape us. He begins to form us. And then we move on to see that people create religions to try to fix this brokenness. That the best of man's opportunity is religion. And the problem with religion is the religion, you have to be perfect. People create this to fix our brokenness and there's no place for weakness. In religion, you can't be weak. You've got to be perfect. You've got to get it right. And the only way you belong in religion is if you get the right things right and you do the right things right. That's how you get in. And then Jesus comes along and he says, You know how you want to get in? You're adopted in. And faith becomes that door that brings you into the family. And so it's no longer about what we do that gives us close to God, it's how he looks at us and where he has placed us in, our, in his family. Being a follower of Christ means that you are called into a new identity, it means that you have been called into a new family. You've been given a new group of people. We like to call that church, right? We're gathered today as a new group of people who have been identified by God, who've been called out, who've been marked for his purpose. And life is no longer about what you're good at. That was a hard one for me to kind of walk into because I want life to be about what I'm good at. I don't know, if you're like me, you're kind of, weird to, you're kind of geared and wired to succeed. To do good, to touch something, to have the mightest touch, right? We want that as touch, don't we? Where we touch something and it works and it happens. But then as I walk into this life with Jesus, he says, it's, well, it's not about what you're good at. Because you're good enough, Your good will never be good enough. And so we can't rely on our goodness or what we're good at to get us into favor with God or get us into the work of God. We have to rely on what he's done and what he's put in us. Because he is good. And we see that Jesus does this by restoring the broken pathways between us and God. He does this by restoring the brokenness inside of us, fixing us so that we may be able to worship God. And then Jesus gives us faith in a future. A faith in a future that's not defined by what we do, how religious we are, but a faith in a future that's set on our relationship with Jesus. It's familiar. And so he brings us into a family, and now what matters is how we're in the family. Pastor John did an amazing job of this with the prodigal son uh, last Sunday, where it's this family relationship that God has brought us into. And so here we are in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to jump into this. But here in chapter 6, we're hit with a hard reality. That revelation, or the revelation of God, This is my first point if you're taking notes. That revelation without transformation leads to separation. Catch that. Revelation, when we receive the revelation of God, when we get a picture of who Jesus is, that revelation then needs to move to transformation. It causes us to be changed and transformed on the inside. And if that doesn't happen, it ends up in separation, where we're separated from God. Because there becomes a window and a door in which God gives you to move into his his calling, to move into relationship with him. Now, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 6. We're going to start in verse number 1. It says, He went away from there, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there except... That he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, catch this. And he went about among the other villages. You see, there's a group of people that knew Jesus. They knew all about Jesus. They could tell a story. In fact, in Mark's gospel here, they do tell a story. They knew all about Jesus, but Jesus, the, the knowledge of Jesus, had yet to transform their hearts. They couldn't get beyond the fact that they saw this boy grow up. And here they are locked into this. And Jesus moves on to another place. Nothing was done in this town. You see, they wanted to be spectators of the gospel rather than participators. They wanted to watch and see something happen. They might have come out and go, ooh, who's going to heal today? Or, or, man, I wonder what he's going to... Hey, maybe there's more wine today. Yeah? Do not we have a lot of people in church this same way? Who come showing up to be entertained. Who come hoping just to get something nice out of, to have a good feeling maybe today. But Mark hits us with this harsh reality that this isn't a spectator place to be that we are not called to be spectators. We are called to be active participators in what God is doing. And that only happens when he transforms our hearts so that we can move into his calling. You see, they were entertained. Faith must produce something in us. For faith to be faith, it has to be activated. We would read in the other letters that it would say this, faith without works is what? dead. Why? Because the gospel demands a response. When the gospel goes forth, something must be produced. The Bible says that his word will go forth and do that which he intended it to do. There's always a reaction. There's always something that comes from the gospel being presented. You see, he is looking for a people in which he can show himself strong. And when he didn't find a group of people in his hometown that he could do something among, he went somewhere else. You see, because transformation will lead to activation. What God has done in you, he wants to do through you. Transformation will lead to activation. If faith has taken root in you, then faith will do something through you. The same faith in which you were saved in is the same faith in which you will walk out in and accomplish what God has set at your feet. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me now to Mark 6. We're going to finish. We're going to read some more out of verse 7 here. I want you to see this in the scriptures here. It says, And he called the twelve, and began to send them out. Now catch this. Remember, God is looking for a group of people in which he can show himself strong. And so here he has his group of people, his 12. And he calls them together and he sends them out. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you there... And if, and in any place that will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. You see, what God requires, he provides. Here's a group of men who are transformed, who are being activated, who are being sent on a mission. And here they're supposed to go not in the provisions of the world, not in provisions of mankind, not leaning on all these other things. They're not supposed to be overburdened by the things of life, but yet they're supposed to step out in faith, believing. Well, I don't have any bread. Well, God's going to provide. Well, how am I going to take care of my basic needs? God's going to provide. What am I supposed to do? What God has said, go do it. You see, many times we want the provision of God before we step into the vision of God. But if you will step into the vision of God, you will have the provision of God. Many times we want the provision of God before we step into the vision of God. But if we will step into the vision of God, we will have his provision Many of us lack the things happening of God in our life. We lack the provisions of God. You know why? Because we've yet to step into the vision of God. This is a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, I'm not trying to say this as if, it oh, it's just easy, just go do it. You know, it's like, just suck it up and go, right? No, this is really a hard thing for us to do. And it's something that we can't do in our own selves. This is why faith has to be activated in us. Because it's faith that lets us step out onto the vision of God. Without the provisions, it requires faith. You see, they were just merely conduits of what God wanted to do, conduits of God's presence, conduits of God's spirits. He called them the travel light, but with great purpose. Now, I've got to preach a sermon on this, and I, I loved preaching; it was a lot of fun. And I I love this statement. It's one of of my mottos in my life, that we're to travel light, but with great purpose. And here we see this played out in the scriptures. As Jesus calls his disciples, they're to travel light, but they're to have great purpose on their life. Church, we have the same calling. Our calling is to travel light, to cast off the burdens that slow us down, to set aside the things. You know, it is so easy to pick up a lot of extra things, if you haven't moved lately, then you don't realize that. If you've moved lately, you look back and you go, man, how did we collect all this stuff? Like, where does this stuff come from? I remember as a young man, um, a buddy of mine, uh, I had uh, moved out on my own, and so I had, you know, the first time you move out, you have to go get stuff, right? Most bachelors, they don't. But I actually, you know, went out and bought some stuff, and so um, I'm filling, I filled up my house, all this stuff, and my buddy comes over to my house, and he goes, man, I can't wait to give me some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I remember him saying that. And I just kind of looked at him, I'm like, oh man, no. It ain't what you think it is. <laughs> but that's how life works, isn't it? We just accumulate stuff. Sometimes you call that baggage, right? If you're single and you're dating and you start to date somebody and you realize they're carrying a lot of baggage, right? you're like, oh, we're out, peace out, Right? <laughs> That's that's what life does. We we collect stuff, and here Jesus is reminding us, Mark is reminding us through through the Holy Spirit that God's call in our life is to lighten our load. Because as believers, we should be moving forward, not in the sustaining power of our culture, of our things, of life, but we should be moving, empowered by the Holy Spirit, resting upon God as our source, as our strength now that's going to look different. I'm not asking you to sell everything you have. God may ask you to do that. I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm asking you today is that do we trust God? Have we set our faith in God? You see, they were supposed to take take no bread, so Christ was going to be their bread. They were supposed to take no extra tunics, so at night when it got cold, you put on your extra tunics in, in case you got stuck somewhere without a shelter. No, Jesus said, I'm your shelter. You see, Jesus is trying to give them a deeper revelation of who he is. There's there's been a revelation so far, but Jesus brings us to a point where he reveals himself, and then he wants to bring us to another point where he reveals himself even deeper and truer and more genuine in our hearts. And if we're caught up with all this stuff, we're going to miss seeing Jesus. Church, I don't want you to miss seeing Jesus. Jesus. I don't want to miss you you having to take the opportunity to to set aside the things of this earth, the cares and the weights of this world, worried about tomorrow and miss the opportunity for Jesus to be the sustaining resource in your life because He is. You see, they were given a sense of urgency. This is why they're to travel light because there's an urgency to their message, there's an urgency to the call, there's an urgency to what we're supposed to be out, church. We should have the same urgency. We should be filled with a kind of a excitement, a tenseness, uh, an energy. I'm trying to, re- to hold it in this morning. I don't know if you can tell. I have a tendency to kind of get real and passionate when I preach. <laughs> and um, I just let it out, and it gets going, and then I find myself just like in a race. And so I'm trying to slow down this morning and pace myself a little bit. But I feel this intensity in me all the time. I don't know if you do. Church, the hour is coming close. The darkness is coming. It is getting dark out there in the world. We know it will get dark before the light comes. Jesus is at the door. Is your lamp full this morning? Are Are your wicks trimmed? Are you ready for the bridegroom's call so that you can go? Are you traveling light so that you can move with the bridegroom? are you burdened down are you weighed down with all this stuff in life the cares and the worries and tomorrows because there's going to be so many in the church church that have, oil, that have lamps but with no oil in them and when the, when the time comes they will not be able to light the, the lamp and they're going to miss the call church it's, we've got to be ready and the call today is, are you ready? See, they were given a message to repent and believe. Church, this is our message. When was the last time this message left your tongue? When was the last time this message rang forth out of your lips? Well, I'm not, we're not all called to preach. No, we're not all called to preach, but we are all called to carry this message, the message of reconciliation. Yes. And you may not stand on this platform. No, you may not. You may. You, you probably have a different platform. And I don't know what your platform is, but you have one. You have people in your life that God has connected to you. And I know your family's tough. It is tough when you're reaching your family. I've got a brother who's not walking with the Lord. It, it grieves my heart every day. And I always pray, God, would you give me an opportunity? I want a window. I want a window to speak to him. And it's funny, I'll take, i try to, Sometimes I think there's a window and I jump, try to do it, you know, and then there's always this hostility that comes back. Anybody know that in your family? Yeah. All right, I don't care. It doesn't matter if hostility is coming, I'm still going to present it. You see, they were equipped as well. There was an urgency. They were given a message and they were equipped. They were equipped with power, with faith, and with the word of God. You see, church, we are not called to be entertained spectators but we are called to be active participators. Many churches this morning will gather to entertain spectators. They will put on a good show on their stage and they will make you feel good. But this isn't about you coming here and feeling good. This is about you coming to the huddle and then us leaving the huddle and going out and playing the game. And I know we didn't have a light show this morning. Sorry. I'm not against light shows. It's just, the point is, I'm not here to entertain you. I got a fire in my hands. I want to hand that fire to you. I want that fire to get in you. I want that fire to burn in you because when the Holy Spirit burns in you, it will consume you. There will be nothing left of you. Your life will no longer be yours. But you know what the beauty of that is? You will go forth and you will speak to demons and they will flee and you will lay hands on the sick and they will be made whole and you will preach the gospel and people will come to know Jesus. But you know what grieves me is there's is a lack of that in today's church. You know what grieves me? There's a lack of that in my life. So many times I'd labor for the Lord and weep. Go, God, where is that? Where is that? Where is it at? I'm not looking for miracles. I'm not looking for these things. God, but I want you. I want to see the evidence of you working and moving around my life. I want prison walls to shake. I want dead men to rise up. I want the lame to walk. Not so that the lame can walk. So that the name of Jesus can go forth. Why? Because people are dying and going to hell. And the only thing that will save them is Jesus. I look at the news. I look at our, the the world around us. It's falling apart, and the only remedy is Jesus. He's the only one who could pull this together. And I, I'm just take like a side note here. One thing I'm seeing in culture right now among a lot of Christians is this kingdom now theology. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I want to help you guard your heart against this. Jesus is not intent on you building His kingdom here. That's not the gospel okay? We do not build the kingdom of God here. We don't set up his throne, his kingdom, and he comes and rules here, okay? This will be destroyed. Every piece of it will be rubble because Jesus is going to do a new thing, and he will come and set up his kingdom. He will set up his kingdom. We don't launch his kingdom. We don't step it out. We don't make it happen. He does, okay? That's a teaching that's happening right now. It's recirculating. Please don't get caught up in that, all right, that's a side note. Sorry, that was free this morning. <laughs> All right, turn to your books. Let's uh, finish. Let's skip down a little bit. I'm going to go to Mark 630. Um, I am skipping this story of John the Baptist. I wanted so bad to get into this. We don't have time. It's a beautiful story. I'd love to unpack this for you, maybe later. It's a contrast of two kingdoms. There's this worldly kingdom and God's kingdom, but we won't get into that. Um, what a beautiful life John the Baptist gave us. But starting in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now I'm going to pause right there because I can't read that without feeling that intensity again, right? I can only imagine the excitement that the disciples had when they returned back to Jesus. Like, oh, it happened. (laughs) Man, you should have seen this. I, I spoke to this demon and it flew. Like, I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. I don't know, if you've ever done that, you'd be like, whoa. I, I mean, here, here he is, he, there's this, this lady comes up, and she can't see, and, and so the, I can imagine at first the disciple's a little timid, and he prays for her, and then her vision comes, and he's like, oh, dude, that was so awesome. And then he goes to the next one, he does it, and all of a sudden there's this, all this is happening, and there's a stir. I can imagine the excitement in their hearts. I remember on a mission trip I went to Columbia, South America, and I'm there, and um, I don't I don't speak Spanish, so don't even try it. I can three years, two years in high school and a year in college, and I can tell you, I can ask where the bathroom is. That's about it. And so I'm here in, in Columbia. I, I cannot communicate with these people. I tried, it just wasn't working. It just wasn't connecting with me. And I remember we're, we're in a sea of people, and they're like, well, let's just pray for them. And so the person who could speak their language let them know we were going to pray for them. And so these people started coming up asking for prayer, and I'm, I'm thinking, who, okay, who's who's going to do this? Cause <laughs> and so I remember this This lady comes up and she's pointing to her eyes and she, as she can't see. And I look and her eyes are white. They're just, I mean, they, they, I, like a dirty glass kind of white. They were just white. And I'm like, um, I think she wants her eyes healed. And so I just pray a simple prayer. And I, I remember seeing, watching her eyes go from white to clear. And then, the excitement that filled her, that she could see. And I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's cool. I remember the feeling, like, going, wow. Wow, I saw that happen. I remember another lady came up. She pointed to her abdomen. You could see a bulge of a tumor. And I'm like, ooh, now eyes is one thing. Cancer, is that another? I don't know. So I pray and watch this tumor melt. I, it had nothing to do with me. God wanted to move in those people and among those people, and he did. And the excitement I felt in my, I was like, man, I'm a part of this. This is so cool. I can imagine as the disciples are coming back, that's how they feel. But then Mark, he messes me up. Because I read this and it says that Jesus said to them, here in verse 30, come away by yourselves to a desolate place for rest. What? Like, no, like, strike while the iron is hot, right? Like, no, it's good. Like, man... Jesus, all this is happening. We need to do more of that. And Jesus is like, no, no, come away. Come away. And the perplexity that Mark would put this in there, that in the midst of all these beautiful things happening, all of a sudden Jesus is like, y'all, come on, we're going to go rest. We're going to go to a desolate place. Now, I find it very strange to go to the desert for rest. That's strange to me. Like, where, where's your rest place? I don't know. My wife says the beach. Like, you put her on a beach, and, like, she experienced rest. I'm, like, stressed, but she's rest. <laughs> I find the desert a very strange place to go get rest. And so what I believe that Mark wants us to see here is I think he wants us to pull a parallel with the nation of Israel is that when the nation of Israel had, been, had a revelation of God, here they are in captivity in Egypt, and the revelation of God comes, and then the powerful hand of God moves and sets them out, and then they experience the freedom of God. And then God says, we're going to the desert. What? I thought you said promised land. No, no, we're going to the desert where you can rest, and you can worship. Well, God, there's no water in the desert. As Pastor John said. You're a quick one. (laughs) Well, there's no food in the desert. Yeah. How am I going to be sustained? Let's go to the desert. Well, to the desert? You see, it's here that we receive a revelation of who Jesus is, that he is the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, that he is the manna from heaven, that he is our rock of salvation. And it's here that they pass through the troubled waters. Church, our journey is so that we get a deeper and greater revelation of who Jesus is. But you're going, but I'm in a desert. Then see Jesus. But, but I'm, I'm in this situation. Then look for Jesus. But this is going on in my life. Look for Jesus. Why would I say that? Because he's there. How do I know that? Because I've seen him in the desert. I've seen him in the storm. I've seen him in all these places, and I know he's there. And he's there with you. If you are his child. If, see, we are called into relationship. We're called into family. And then he gives you the beautiful example of that in your own life with your own kids. Now, I, had, I remember teaching my daughter how to ride a bike. Any of you done that? I'm a boy. Me teaching a girl something like that is, whoo, praise Jesus. It was tough. Because I'm like, adventure, let's do this, you know, riding a bike, yeah. I'm like, what? How did, what happened? Like, we went from smiles to tears in less than one second. Like, how, how does that happen? Like, some of you guys, you you're raising girls, you kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Three of them, man. Whew. Girls and boys are different. And, and so here I am trying to help my daughter not be fearful of riding a bike. I'm like, riding a bike simple, man. Girl, you got some tough times in life ahead of you if riding a bike is messing up your world. God forbid we want to take the training wheels off, right? <laughs> it's a whole nother thing. But I moved my daughter into this, why? Because I know this is part of her growing up. She breaks down in tears, and I reassure her. Why? Because I'm a good father. Well, is is not he a good father? Is he not a better father than me? And here we are in our troubled times going, Oh, but God, it's a desert. Yeah, it's a desert. I brought you out here. Why? So I can show you who I am. You need to see me as fire by night, cloud by day. You need to see me as manna. You need to see me as the rock of your salvation. And guess what? Yeah, we're going to have to pass through the troubled waters, but guess what? I'm with you. You see, we have to get this revelation of Jesus, and Mark brings us to this point, because I know it's a very strange place for us to be. He's in the desert, but he brings us to the desert. All right, so I'm going to kind of keep going. All right. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from the town and got there ahead of them. When he went to shore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. (laughs) Jackpot, right? And the hours late... Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they have found out, they said, Five and two fish. You know, this is a very interesting moment here in this story. And Jesus brings the disciples here to this, to this interesting moment where he knows what he's going to do in a desolate place. Now, I don't know anybody who's going to feed a large crowd goes to a desolate place. And Jesus waits till the last hour in this moment. Now, these are some credible things to ponder as you read through this. And as we unpack and we look at the character of Jesus, the nature of Jesus being unfolded here. And the disciples come to him, and Jesus' solution is, you feed them. Now, do you find that very odd in the middle of this text? That what Jesus had done in them, he wants to do through them? No, that's the point that we see here, that what God does in you, he wants to do through you. This is why often I would say that your life is the gospel narrative. Now, you're not the gospel. Don't get me wrong. You're not the authority. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what Christ has done in you, he wants to do through you. There's a story in your life of the hand of God, of the workings of God, and we are to open up that book and read the chapters aloud to our children and to our neighbors and to our friends and to our coworkers. This is why I would tell you to table well. Why? One, because Jesus did it. Well, the hours deal. Okay, you feed them. Well, I don't, how do we do that? I don't You have a table at your house. Feed somebody. It's very simple. When we find ourselves with extra or without, we build longer tables over bigger barns. this is the story that we're given here. Now, on the verse 45, we're going to read this. It it moves into another chapter. And isolation, oh, I missed my point on this, and let me give you my third point. That I want to do my, I've got all my little cards here, and But activation will lead to isolation. When God activates, where the transformation happens in us, it's going to lead us to isolation. He's going to call us out into the desert. Transformation will lead to isolation. Why? Do you know that we're called the ecclesia? You know what that means? The called out. You know, when, when, when God called Moses to lead Israel out, you know what he said? He said, I want to call you out of this country to a separate place so that I can make a people of you. Hmm, to be called out. How do you do that? Well, we have to be isolated. But we're not isolated because we're with Christ. We're with his people. But we are the called out ones. And isolation will lead to a greater revelation and demonstration of who God is. That's my fourth point, sorry. Isolation will lead to a greater revelation and demonstration of who Christ is and his purpose and his power. Let's read on, chapter, uh, verse 45 here. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat. Now, again, note this. This is twice he's made them get into the boat. And to go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he he was alone on the land. And he saw them that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth hour watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished. Catch this, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Another version would say it it didn't penetrate their hearts. Mark wants us to connect these two stories, the story of the loaves and the fishes, with the story of the storm. Now, can we just go ahead and dispel the idea that these are manly men? that whoever was captaining the boat was probably not one of the disciples. It was probably like a ferry boat. But this is someone who made their livings on this lake and has seen many storms on this lake. We're talking about seasoned fishermen. I don't know if you've ever been out on a lake in the middle of a storm. Anybody ever done that? If you fish, you've probably done that. There's, I've, several times I've been out on a lake. Um, I remember as a kid one time we were out, and the motor on the boat was not fast enough to get us across the lake, faster than a storm came, and I remember bailing water out of the boat, right? You ever been there in the middle of just hard rain coming down, and lightning and thunder, and you're bailing out? That's a different experience. Um, One time I was out in Oregon, we were fishing, I was fishing with a buddy of mine, we were in a canoe, paddle canoe, and we're literally way out in this lake, and we're fishing, and it's just like, man, we're not just, we're used to catching fish, and you know, when the fish stop biting, you're like, man, what is up? And I look and there's a storm coming. I'm like, look at my buddy. I'm like, hey, we probably should be hitting back to shore. And he's like, oh, now we're good. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure we should probably get our oars out and pedal back. He's like, no, we're good. And so we start debating it. And all of a sudden the fish start biting. Well, guess what? Who cares? We're staying, right? <laughs> the fish are biting. We're staying. And so here we are just, I mean, you would throw it in and I mean, just one after the other. You, as soon as you throw it in, you're pulling it in. I'm like, it's one of those moments you're like, it never happens this way, so I'm going to stay in this moment. Well, guess what? The storm came up. And so here we are in this little canoe that is only floating this much above the water. <laughs> there is no bailing out at this time. <laughs> We're just trying to hang on and get to shore. There was something about this storm that reduced these men to nothing. Now catch this. There was something, these were men. They had experienced this before, but there was something about this moment that reduced them to nothing. Jesus did not make the storm, but he sent them into the storm. And he was going to meet them on the other side. Now, for some of you, starting to click. You're starting to connect the dots in your spiritual life right now with this word. You're going through this storm. And you're thinking, God, why did you make this storm? God didn't make this storm, but he sent you into the storm. Well, God, why would you send me in the storm? Because I'm going to meet you on the other side. But, but God, you will go through storms in life that will reduce you to nothing. I know the air just got sucked out of this room, didn't it? Like nah, but come on. Like we want to laugh. We want to be, you know, we want to have a good time, right? No, the reality is, church, that you will be sent into storms that will reduce you to nothing. You know why you want to be? He wants to reduce you to nothing so that he can be your something. God is going to take you into a place where he can become a deeper and greater revelation of who he is to you, and that happens as you become decreased and he becomes increased. And he will send you into a storm that will reduce you to nothing so that you have nothing left but Jesus. Because the next phase in your walk with Christ is going to need you to be dependent on him more than anything. He needs you to be reduced of all these other things. Why? We're supposed to travel light. And he's going to lighten your load. There's nothing that'll lighten your load like a storm. You're going to start throwing stuff out. You see, many times I fear that ourselves, like the disciples, we find ourselves here. That we become so self-aware because what God has done through us that we begin to take ourselves seriously when we should be taking God more seriously. Many times I find ourselves, I believe that this is where we find ourselves, church. Those that make it past the desert. That we've seen God work and move in our life. We've seen things happen. We've seen the miraculous. We've seen the wonderful. We've seen God work and move. And we become so self aware that we begin to take ourselves seriously. When the call is to take Jesus seriously, to take the hand of God seriously. There seems to be a warning here in the book of Mark from Mark here in this chapter. One is that he meant to pass by them. He acted as if he was going further. Revelation without transformation leads to separation. You will experience many revelations in your life and every revelation is meant to bring transformation in you. There's a transformative work that the gospel does in us to bring us to new places in him. The second warning I see here is that they did not understand. The Bible says they were blind. This didn't penetrate their heart. They couldn't understand. It didn't get to them about the loaves and the fishes. No doubt that we're given a window into the nature of Christ here. No doubt that we're intended to see Jesus as the one who sent them into the storm, the one who's up on the on the hill praying for them, who's watching them, who's walking near them, who will meet them on the other side. We're intended to see all these things about Jesus. And we're intended to see here that we must decrease that he might increase in us. It hadn't penetrated their hearts. What was it about the loaves that were supposed to penetrate their hearts? Well, what did Jesus tell them? You feed them. Well, God, how are we going to do this? I don't know how to do this, God. Of course you don't. Well, God, we don't have the resources to do this. Of course you don't. Well, God, I don't even have the plan. Like, how are we supposed to, like, there's 5,000 people here. And so Jesus says, well, this is how we do it. And so he begins to show them how to feed the multitude. Well, the story, it didn't penetrate their hearts. But you know, the beauty of this is it's not over. Because later on, we see after Peter denies Christ, then Christ comes back to restore him. Do you remember what Jesus tells Peter three times? Feed my sheep. Peter, go feed. Feed my sheep. Peter, feed. Feed them. Feed them. Feed them. You see, many in the church are caught up on this mysticism. They're caught up in the miracles. They're caught up in the fanatical of God. And they try to orchestrate this and make this happen. I've been in so many churches where they fake it, and it's just I can't tell you how that grieves my heart to see someone faking God doing something. But many churches are doing that because the presence of God is not really there, and they're caught up on this mystical. We don't need to be caught up in the mystical. God does these things, yes. But here Peter is, and on the day of Pentecost, he's standing in the upper room, and God shows up and does something miraculous, does he not? I mean, this is miraculous. One, you had 120 people, and we're in unity, right? Wow, that's pretty miraculous. The Holy Spirit falls in this place, and what does Peter do? Now catch this, what does Peter do? He goes into the street and he says, hang on, hang on, hang on. you're you're, you're focused on that. Don't be focused on that. Here I want you to focus on. Joel prophesied that this would happen. That's not the important thing. The important thing is Jesus is alive. The important thing is, is Jesus is the Messiah. He begins to preach the gospel. He begins to feed the people. And what happens? The numbers are added to the church. And this goes on and on. And then Peter's walking up into the temple, and there's a beggar there. And He's, well, I mean, all I've got, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And the miraculous happens. What does Peter do? He doesn't go, okay, anybody else who needs a healing, get in a line. We're going to do a line here. We're going to pray for everybody. No. He doesn't put up his tent and say, oh, i got a healing ministry. Everybody come to my healing ministry. No, that's not what Peter does. Peter preaches the gospel. He feeds them. You see, Peter got it. It penetrated his heart. That's the beauty, church. It penetrates our heart. It changes us. It transforms us. It makes us new. It gives us what we need so we can go do what he's called us to do. It works. It will work in you. It is working in you. Give it time. My greatest frustration with God is he is not on my time clock. Like, Come on, God. I'm ready. Hold on. God, you're late. No. No, no. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. We're about to sink, God. I know. I'm right here. God is late. All these hungry people, they got to go. We ain't got no food for them. No. It may be dark in the last hour, but he's not late, church. What God has done in you, he wants to do through you. There's an important message here in this, and I'm, I'm getting close to closing, Brooke, if you'll come on up. Mark lets us know that Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. Now, in Mark's gospel, this only happens three times, and I think this is of note. The first time this happens is when his ministry kicks off. There's an excitement that begins to bubble up, all this excitement over what Christ is doing, like miracles and all this is happening. People are excited. And, and Christ goes off to pray. The second time is in Mark six, right here after feeding the five thousand, that Jesus goes up to pray. After this crowd is in a frenzy, I can only imagine if you were in this crowd and you saw the whole crowd fed, like there would be this excitement and begin to start, Hey, did, how, did, how did that happen? That was only that was only a small lunch, like, and there's leftovers. Twelve baskets left over. Like, how did this happen? Like there was a stirring that began to happen. and Is is he the Messiah? Hey, do you think he's the Messiah? Is he the one? Is he the one of God that's called to... Maybe he's it. Hey, everybody, let's go make him the Messiah. Hey, disciples, go get in the boat. But God, did you not just say that? That was so cool. Get in the boat. But God, I want to do this. Get in the boat. And the third time we see that is when he's in Gethsemane praying. You know, every one of these times that Mark pulls out is an opportunity for Jesus to avoid the cross. Every one of these times is an opportunity for him to step into something that wasn't what God had had yet. Every opportunity was a time for the people to dictate his purpose and not God to dictate his purpose. And so he went away to pray. Mark is connecting these two stories for us. You see, we often look for evidence on the outward, the expression, the the external. And our church, many churches are caught up in this, but isn't it Jesus who said that that many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these great things in your name? And his response is, "I, I don't know who you are. What a sad day. but we cast out demons and and we laid hands on the sick and they recovered. This is not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel isn't that someone would receive physical sight. The point of the gospel isn't that leprosy would be eradicated. This all is going to burn up, guys. The point of the gospel is that we would see Jesus more clearly. The point of the gospel is that the revelation would lead to transformation. And it would lead to activation, lead to isolation. And isolation will lead us back to a greater revelation of who Jesus is. Not everyone who says to me, or not many, the Bible says, says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who will do the will of my Father. Well, what is the will of the Father? Feed my sheep. Who do you have at your table? Who have you invited to your table? Your spiritual table? Your physical table? Whatever table. You see, the disciples were sent out to do miracles. These miracles were to evoke people, they were to awaken a response, awaken a curiosity to be brought to Jesus. If great things happen in our life, church, it's so that people may be brought to Jesus. The blind beggar was healed so that Peter could preach the gospel. It became a platform. Whatever miracle God has done in your life is your platform. Begin to preach. You see, we need to make sure we're doing church not man's way, but God's way. And the second thing is we often focus on what we do as the evidence as to what we are. Jesus said, go get in the boat. But God, we were just doing these awesome miracles. Go get in the boat. But did you see that? I just cast that demon out. Go get in the boat. Does that hit you, Odd? Because in the church today, if someone heals somebody and they get healed, we start a healing ministry. You see, we often focus on what we do as the evidence of what we are. How do I know this? Because if you ever lose what you do, you don't know who you are. Oh, but God, I I taught Sunday school for 20 years and now nobody let me teach. Get in the boat. But but God, really? I've been a good teacher. I've been faithful. Get in the boat. God, I sang on the worship team my whole life. Get in the boat. But I, I can't sing anymore. See, when we take away what we do, we don't know how to operate anymore. Why? Because we've lost who we are. And who we are is in Christ. It's a family we're brought in to close to him. It's not about what we do, church. It is about who we are. It's about being transformed. Mark closes with this warning to us. That the lesson of the lows had not penetrated their hearts. Father, what hasn't penetrated my heart? God, how have I been blind to, to what you want to show me? I've, I've missed your revelation, God. I know what I have because I'm not perfect. I've missed your revelation. God, would would you take me back again? Would you show me? Would you let my heart be open this time to receive and to see who you are? What hasn't penetrated my heart? Pastor John, would you come close? I want to give our pastor this moment, a I feel like we've got a good moment here. I'm going to give it to you.
1: Church family, stand with me this morning. That's one of those messages. There's a lot in there, Wade. A lot. um, And it was very well laid out for us. You know what I heard this morning for myself? if I can summarize. I don't think the question for us is how much about him do we believe? Today I think the question was how much of what you believe are you sharing with other people? Two totally different things. Two totally different things. Two totally different things. You can't give what you don't have. And everything you've been given, you are to share. Father, first of all, I want to thank you for this house that's named after your son. I thank you for the men and women that teach in all the areas from our toddlers to children's church to youth to here. Lord, would you forgive us? It's like today is one of those um, that made you just many times this sermon. You go, hmm, I didn't see that before. Would you forgive us and push far from us this propensity we have of using our faith to try to make our life comfortable instead of using our faith to open the eyes of other people? that we might be effective, faithful stewards. Lord, be with us this week. Take not your Holy Spirit from us. Keep us close. If you should tarry till next week and bring us back together again. May Christ's chapel, Lord, it's not, you know my heart, I, it doesn't matter to me if we're known of men. But if we're known of you, and we share who you are, then that's sufficient. Help us to shout the fame of the Son of God with clarity and anointing. For your Son's sake, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Have a one- Can we give the Lord a hand this morning for the word?